I've told you about Dr. Fred Epstein, the pediatric neurosurgeon working out of New York. He wrote his book, If I Get to Five. And in it, he talks about children that he's operated on who really have touched his life in a special way. One of those children who touched him was a a young girl named Chelsea Snyder. Chelsea was living in Wisconsin. She was six years old and getting ready to enter into the first grade when she started to have symptoms and she had to go to the doctor and there they found she had a brain tumor. The doctors told her, her mom that it really was one of those kind of cancers that would be incurable. They went ahead and operated. And the good news is Chelsea responded in a wonderful way, really. She responded, she got stronger, went on back to school. In fact, she did very well for the next six years. And she had been living and going so well, and now she was just this young teenager, and suddenly the brain tumor came back. When the doctors examined her and found it, they told Chelsea's mom there really was nothing that they could do, and they gave her three months to live. Her mother struggled greatly with that. She began praying and thinking and working, and in the end she made the decision to start trying to do research, and she started reading pediatric journal, medical journals, and she started going on the internet, and there she found Dr. Fred Epstein in New York. She contacted him and said, would you be willing to look at her case? And then she managed to arrange an angel flight, you know, the free flights that will take people who need to go get help for medical care. And so before she knew it, she and her daughter Chelsea were flying to New York. They were meeting with Fred. He looked at all the prognosis, and he said, I think we could do something. I think we can operate. And so they did. He said she was such a cheerful child. She was just upbeat and positive. And so he operated on her, and she came through in a wonderful way. Two days after the operation, she was up, and she was moving around the hospital. She was telling anyone who would listen, I'm not leaving till I get to tour New York. Two weeks after her operation, she was on a three-day whirlwind tour of New York. And when she came back, she burst into Fred's office hollering, I love New York. He said she was just the neatest kid. Well, she went back home and she did very well. Fred would be writing the book and said, you know, she's now 17 years old. 17. She had been told she had three months. 17 years old. She was doing fine. No sign of the cancer. He said, I can't promise anything. I don't know for sure how long she'll be able to live. I would hope a completely long life and it never comes back. But I can tell you, she's getting on with her life. She has a job in the mall. She has her driver's license and she has a car. She has a boyfriend. She's making A's and B's in high school. She volunteers for a a pediatric group of children within the oncology wing. Her dream is to grow up and to be a nurse, to be a pediatric nurse working on the oncology wing. No, she has her dreams. But he said when she went back home and tried to get back to living just a normal life as a teenager, she found there was a problem. I want to read you what she said. It's annoying to me how other kids complain about little things. I mean, really, what's the big deal if you get a C on a test or your boyfriend doesn't call you after school? I've thought a lot about death. Who wouldn't in my situation? I just try to take things a day at a time. 
because of my experience, I've become a very strong young woman. I've learned to plan for my future and enjoy the present along the way. Death is a part of life. I can't worry about when or how. I've got too many plans. Chelsea is a very wise young woman to be able to say, I got my plans for the future, and I'm going to live today. To step back and say what's really important and not important, oh, they're worried over these silly things. You know, sometimes it seems it's when we have a crisis in life that you and I stop and look at our lives, we examine our lives, and we begin to say, am I really spending my time on things that matter? Or am I wasting my time on insignificant things? We start asking the questions of, am I getting angry over trivial things? Am I worrying about things that I can't change? Then we start spending our time looking at our lives and asking, how am I living my life? Well, that's really what we're supposed to do in Lent. You know, we have said that together in Lent, we're going to take the time to start looking at our lives, a self-examination and asking, am I spending my time on things that matter? Am I getting angry at things that are trivial? Am I worrying about things that I can't control? How am I living my life? When I look at Chelsea... I can't help but think that old saying, you can't measure a life by the breaths, the number of breaths you take, but rather by the number or the amount of moments that take your breath away. You don't measure a life by the number of breaths you take, but by the number of moments that take your breath away. Are you doing those things that take your breath away, that live, that matter? Because the truth of the matter is, one day we die. One day it comes to an end. And this is the moment we have. I really believe that's what our scripture lesson is about this morning. In our scripture lesson we have Jesus going into Jerusalem. We know that this is between, this is what we call Holy Week, between Palm Sunday when Jesus enters Jerusalem and Good Friday when He is crucified. Jesus has gone into the temple with the disciples. We were looking at the last last few weeks. He's been in the temple, and when they're coming out, it is magnificent. This temple, originally built by Solomon, but truly restored by Herod to this incredible place, a wonder on earth. And they came out, and the disciples are saying, this is one amazing place. It is so beautiful. And Jesus said, one day it's all going to be torn down. No stone will be left standing on the other. They withdraw from the temple and they go up on the top of the Mount of Olives. If you've ever been to Jerusalem, I can tell you it's one of my favorite views. I loved going up on the Mount of Olives. You look back down over the city. You kind of see the whole thing. It's a very inspirational view. And Jesus took them up on the Mount of Olives and they said to him, When will this be? When will the end come? Now you know as I do that Mark 13, this chapter in Mark, has been used for centuries for people to talk about the end of times. When will the end of the world come? People have loved talking about that forever. Do you remember the millennium, the turn of the millennium, 2000? 
Oh, we had the Y2K scare. Oh, that was a big one. You know, we started having so many people talk about it's going to be the end of time. going to be the end of time. I don't think Mark 13 is really a thing that predicts the end of time. What are the signs? I think to look for the signs of the end of time is really a waste of time. Jesus said very clearly, nobody knows. Nobody knows. Not the angels, not the Son of Man. No one knows. And I think it's helpful if you look at Mark 13, not as a passage that's going to be talking about the end of time universally, but let it talk about the end of time personally. It's not about a universal end of time. It's about a personal end of time. For it reminds us all that one day we're going to die. Jesus tells the parable and says, There was a householder, a master, who called his servants to him and said, I'm going on a trip. You know what you're supposed to do. You know what you can do. I'm going on a trip. And Jesus said, They were free. They could do whatever they wanted to do. And when the master leaves, you know how it is. We used to get up at 6 a.m. to get our chores done. But it really doesn't hurt if we get up at 7, 8, 9. We take an extra long lunch, take a nap after lunch, sleep in at 3. And Jesus said, yeah, the master's going away and you can do what you need and want to do. But just know, he will come back. Don't let him catch you asleep. I think Jesus was saying, be awake. Be awake and doing the things that matter. Don't, don't spend your life being angry at trivial things and spending your time on things that don't matter and worrying about things you can't change. Be awake. Watch. Watch, he said, because he does come back. The truth is, for us all, one day... We die. That is not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to think about. Because the truth of the matter is, once you know you're going to die, it really inspires you to live. This morning, I want to continue on with the sermon series, um, What Lies Within. And what we've said we're going to do during this season of Lent is we're going to look at what lies within. We're going to look at these values. What's important to us? What is God calling us to do? How are we living our lives? Fifty years ago, right now, there were three movies that were really blockbusters at the movie theaters. I don't know if you remember them. Sound of Music. Fifty years ago, right now, Sound of Music came out. We're going to look at Sound of Music in St. Luke's on Broadway this year. My Fair Lady. We looked at that last year at St. Luke's on Broadway. My Fair Lady was out. Rex Harrison. He was going to be nominated for an Academy Award Best Actor. But also, Zorba the Greek, Anthony Quinn. He would be nominated for Best Actor in Academy Award. You don't talk so much about Zorba the Greek. You think about My Fair Lady and, and you're going to think about Sound of Music. But Zorba the Greek was incredibly successful 50 years ago right now. If you ever saw the movie, you'll know there's a scene. Anthony Quinn plays the part of Zorba. He's the Greek guy working out in the fields, and he has a new boss. And he says to the boss, Boss, I was up on a mountain, and I came across a man. He's a grandfather, 90 years old. 
and I saw him planting an olive tree. And I said to him, why are you planting that tree? You're not going to live to see it grow up. You're never going to get fruit from that tree. Why are you doing that? And he stood up and he looked at me and said, I live as if I will never die. Well, boss, I live as if I'm going to die today. So who's right? Two things I want to say today. First of all, live as if you will never die. To live as if you'll never die is really to live with dreams and goals. It's to be planning and growing and doing something for the first time. It's about giving yourself to something bigger than yourself. Giving yourself to something that you know you won't see the end. You won't see the fruits. But you do it anyway. You're living as if you will never die. We don't know the amount of time that we are given. We are going to try to do, to be able to, to be a part of our dreams. You know, it's been said a lot. If there is no hope in the future, there is no power in the present. You've got to have hope in the future. You've got to have dreams in the future. That's what gives your life meaning and calls you forward. And it's easy to lose that at any age. I look at teenagers. How many teenagers have lost hope in the future? They've lost their dreams in the future. I think it's one of the reasons they sometimes turn to drugs. Teen suicide rate is up so high. If a teen has taken their life, they've lost their hope in the future. They've lost their dreams. That happens when you're in your 20s and 30s. You grow up and you have these dreams. You go to school. You work hard. Maybe you're hoping to get married. You never get married. Maybe you get married and you go through a divorce. You get that job and it's not really the job you want. Now you've got lots of student debt. It's easy to go through your 20s and 30s and become disillusioned in life. and You lose your dreams. You lose your hope in the future. It happens when you're in your 40s and your 50s. You get into your 40s and your 50s and now you're in midlife and you start looking around. Have I, have I achieved anything that matters? Have I achieved anything that is significant? And now in your 40s, you start realizing there is an end to time. I remember when I turned 40, my secretary gave me a birthday card and on the front it said, turning 40 is not the end of the world. And then you open it on the inside and it said, but you can see it from there. <laughs> yeah, you get to your 40s and 50s and you know there's an end of time. Well, let me tell you, at 60, you feel like you're kind of looking over the cliff there now. Yeah, you get to your 60s and your 70s and your 80s and suddenly you start thinking, I've learned all that I need to learn. I've experienced all that I need to experience. It is easy to get into your 60s and 70s and 80s and just decide to kind of coast. What do I really need to learn? Do I really need to do something for the first time? Do I need to still grow and dream? It's actually what gives your life meaning. If you live as if you'll never die. 
if you're still having those dreams and giving yourself to something bigger than yourself. I came across a fascinating story of Elmer Wells. Elmer Wells was born and was raised in Fort Morgan, Colorado. And growing up in Fort Morgan, it's a small town, about 10,000 people. He had a passion. He was a man of faith. And out of his love for Christ, he wanted to bless other people. And the way he did it was he would go get musical instruments and then give them to young kids who couldn't afford to buy them and teach them how to play. And then after they knew how to play, he would help them to form a band. Now, when I started reading this story, I thought, that's our El Sistema. After school ministry today, we're doing the same thing. That's what Elmer Wells did. On an individual basis, he got these instruments, found the kids, he taught them how to play, and helped to create a band. And the kids loved it. And some of them did pretty well. I mean, one of the kids he taught to play and put into a band was a guy named Glenn Miller. He went on to do pretty well. Glenn Miller's orchestra. From 1939 to 1944, it was the biggest name in music, the big band sound, in huge demand, making money hand over fist. Until Glenn Miller was killed in action in World War II there in England. Before he died, he had written a song, Elmer's Tune, to honor Elmer Wells, this man who had reached out and loved him and taught him how to play and given him the gift of music. Well, Elmer left Fort Morgan. He moved to Denver, Colorado. When he went to Denver, he opened his barber shop. That's what he was, was a barber, really. And whenever you went to go see Elmer, you knew you weren't just getting a haircut. You were going for a theological discussion. Elmer loved to talk church, and he loved to talk about helping people and how God called us to bless our neighbor. And when you got your haircut, you were going to be talking theology with Elmer. It's just the way that it was. Well, finally, Elmer decided the time had come that he needed to give up cutting hair. And when he got ready to leave and to sell his business, he wrote a letter to his friend, Harvey Pottis, who was a professor at Isle of School of Theology there in Denver. And I want to read you what, what Elmer had to say. I told you that I sold the barbershop. It's been quite hard on me to move away from the place of business where I'd been for the last 32 years and also move away from the many friends I've accumulated. I have a problem now of building a new life and I want to build one where I can continue to help people. I've spent my life helping other people. God intended that when we reach the end of life, we should be able to look back and see something we left that was helpful. I intend to do more for God and others in the next 15 to 20 years of my life than I've done in the past 90. I intend to do more for God and others in the next 15 to 20 years than I've done in my past 90. Now let me tell you, that's living as if you're never going to die. <laughs> that's having hope in the future. That's about giving yourself to something bigger than yourself. I think that's why Jesus called the disciples up on to the Mount of Olives to look out over Jerusalem, to be inspired, to say, you know, the householder goes away. I'm going away. You're going to be free. You know what you can do. But you get to choose. How are you going to live? Will you give yourself to something bigger than yourself? Continue to give yourself dreams and hopes. Will you live as if you're never going to die? It's about planting a tree where you know you'll never pick the fruit. About planting a tree in whose shade 
you will never sit. It's what gives a sense of meaning and purpose in life. Live as if you're never going to die. Second, to live as if you're going to die today. The truth of the matter is, we don't know how long we get. And you really can't live in the future. And you can't go back and recapture the past. All you get is this moment, this day. And so the question is, do you live this day well? Are you trying to live each day well now? Not waiting to live in the future. Not regretting something in the past. Are you living today well? If you knew today was your last day here on earth, how would you live it? We've been asking everybody to take their journal to create a little space for God. We called it on the very first week. Asking you to create a little space for God in your daily life to stop, to get out your journal and answer a few questions each day. You know, if you came tonight and you pulled out your journal and you suddenly thought, today's my last day. How would you evaluate, did you live it well? Maybe the questions I think ought to be asked are, did I ever say thank you? Did I ever say thank you? Did I live out of a spirit of gratitude? Did I ever tell someone, I love you? Did I ever grow still and listen to God? Did I spend my time doing something of meaning? Something that matters. Doesn't have to be life-shattering. Just something that matters. Or am I spending my time on the things that don't matter and getting angry over trivial things and worrying about things that I can't change? Wouldn't it be bad to come to the end of your last day on earth and think, I wasted it worrying about all those things I can't change? I, I got mad at all those things that are so trivial. I, I spent my time doing things that don't matter. You know, I love that book, Tuesdays with Maury, that came out so long ago with Mitch Albin and, and Maury Schwartz. Remember, Mitch Albin is the sports writer and also become a big author. And Maury was his professor back in college. And Maury developed ALS. And he looked at Mitch, who was so busy, always on the run, always on the go. And he was afraid Mitch wasn't doing things that were important. Oh, he was doing a lot of things. But he thought, you're not doing the things that matter. And so he said to Mitch, you know, you need to kind of get bound. You need to get focused in your life. He said, you need to imagine there's a little bird on your shoulder, Mitch. And each day that little bird whispers in your ear, is today the day? Is today your day to come to the end? Did I live my last day well? I've been telling you about Gene Cernan, the astronaut, how Eugene Cernan was the last man to walk on the moon, Apollo 17. But he also flew on Apollo 10. Apollo 10, you remember, was the one that went to the moon along with our own Oklahoma Tom Stafford and with John Young. They flew all the way to the moon, circled the moon, and then Gene Cernan and Tom Stafford got into the little lunar lander and they went down almost to the moon to see if you could actually make all these maneuvers work before Apollo 11 when Buzz Aldrin and, and uh, Armstrong were going to walk finally on the moon. When he came back as an incredible success, so significant what he had accomplished. But he had a little daughter, Tracy, 
Gene's daughter was Tracy. She was six years old in the first grade. And he said he had been gone so much. And he wanted little Tracy to know what he had done and how significant it was. He wanted her to be proud of him. And so he waited till one night when there was a full moon, clear sky. And he went out with Tracy and said, you see the moon? Your daddy went there. I was there. And it was me and Mr. Stafford. We got in our little lunar lander <coughs> and we went down so close to the moon. Closer than any human being has ever been there before. I was there at the moon, your daddy. And he said, Tracy looked at the moon. And then she looked over at him and said, Well, daddy, now that you've been to the moon, can we go camping like you promised? (laughs) And Jean said, Here I was trying to make her so proud and tell her what I'd done was so significant. And what I realized was I had something significant to do that day. It's not just about the big significant things, but a significant thing today. Have you expressed your gratitude? Have you told somebody you love me? Have you told somebody you love them? Have you walked with God? Have you done the things that matter? What a difference it would make. You got to live as if you're going to die today. Those of you who are musicians will certainly know the name of James Galway. What an amazing guy. James Galway was um, he's a flautist, which means he's a really good flute player. He really is amazing. He's cut 30 different albums. He has sold millions of recordings. He's played for the Queen of England. He's played for American presidents. He's played with John Denver on Annie's Song. He's played with Pink Floyd at the Berlin Wall. He's played the trilogy of Lord of the Rings. He's a very versatile kind of guy, an amazing performer, and an incredible man of faith. He always wears a cross. And he says, this is not jewelry. It's a symbol. And I wear it to remind me who I am, and how I'm called to live. That's why I wear the cross. He's a man now 75 years old. He has lots of dreams and plans. He's still working with youth groups, trying to bring these organizations together, teach these kids how to play, give them a passion for music, pull them together in their bands. Oh, he has a lot of things he's putting into place, and he still performs. And so much of what he does today really is influenced because of an accident that he was in a number of years ago now in Switzerland. He had just given a performance and he came out from the performance with a group of friends and they went to a dinner. And when the dinner was over, they stepped out into the street. It was a dark night and they heard the revving of a motorcycle. They tried to step back out of the street, but this motorcycle couldn't see them. They couldn't see the motorcycle and he ran right into them. Three people in the group were seriously injured. He was one of them. Broke both of his legs, broke one of his arms. They took him into surgery. He had been in the hospital for weeks recuperating when they realized the bones were not healing properly. Back into surgery, start over again. He was in the hospital for months. And then he was in a wheelchair. And there was months and months of rehab. He calls this period in his life picking up the pieces. 
but he finally put his life back together again. And that experience affected the way that he lived life. How often it's those significant moments that change the way we live, but we could do it in Lent now. I want to read you what James Galway had to say. After the accident, I decided that henceforth I would play every concert, cut every record, give every TV performance as if it were my last. The important thing is to make sure that every time I play the flute, my performance will be as near perfection as God intended, and I shall not be remembered for a shoddy performance. None of us want to be remembered for a shoddy performance. If today was your last day, would you be able to look back on it and say you lived it well? You lived in gratitude? You lived in love? You walked with God? You spent your time on doing something that mattered? Jesus said, there is this householder, called his servants together, and he told them, I'm going away. You're now free. You're now free to do what you choose. But know that one day I will return. The end does come. Don't be caught asleep. Watch. So, boss, the other day I was up on a mountain and I came across his grandfather, an old guy, 90 years old, and he was planting an olive tree. And I said, why are you doing that? You plant an olive tree, you're never going to see it grow up. You're never going to get fruit from the tree. Why would you do that? And he said to me, I live as if I'm never going to die. Well, boss, I live as if I'm going to die today. So who's right? You both are. You both are. And if you pay attention to what lies within, you can do both. You can do both if you pay attention to what lies within. It's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer.